0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product-Led Podcast. My name is Wes Bush. I'm the author of the book on Product-Led Growth, and I have my co-host, Bramley. And so today, we have such a fun guest. I have read Alan's book years ago, which is all around Jobs Be Done and I love the title. I mean, When Coffee and Kale Compete. I just think it's the smartest thing ever. So <laughs> <laughs> we have the man himself who wrote the book. So for those that don't know about you, Alan, could you just share a little bit more about your story, but behind how you became the author of the book on Jobs You Done?
1: Yeah, so this, it's all very selfish, to be honest, uh, in the sense of, you know, one of the best ways to understand a topic is to teach it. Definitely. because you know, that really forces you to know it in depth and you know, every question that can come up about it, you have to be prepared to answer it. And like, well, what about here? And well, back here you said this, but then now you're saying that. You know, what's true? So, you know, it forces you to be consistent and explore all those kind of edge cases. I was motivated to do that to learn more about jobs to be done because I needed it as a product manager and as a business owner. Like I needed a new way to be more successful in my growth and innovation efforts.
0: Definitely. That's a really similar kind of use case of why I wrote a book as well. I remember I created like a course on product-led growth and I was like, I'm still not done understanding this topic. There's so much to it. And I really decided writing a book is honestly the best way to understand any topic. And so you're totally right in your yep. assumption of, if you can teach it, you can really understand it to a whole nother degree.
1: Yeah. It's it's kind of funny, actually, if, if anyone listening is interested, Russell Acoff frequently talks about that, about how he's like, I had to become a teacher to actually learn anything. He's like, I, I didn't really learn anything in school. The only time I actually learned something was by becoming a teacher. So he, he, he talks about that and, and it's very funny. Awesome.
0: I love it. And so before I just make a huge assumption that everyone listening to this understands what Jobs to be Done is all about, can you yep. just give us a background on yep. what you see Jobs to be Done as what it really is?
1: Yeah. So I'll start with probably, you know, I've, I've always been getting, trying to get better at answering this question. And I think I've got it pretty good now. So I think to understand what is jobs to be done, I think you should start with how is it helpful to producers, right? And I would say that it's helpful because we want to get better at figuring out how to create growth for our business. So like that's like the overarching progress that every company is trying to make. I mean, every organization Growth is either the top priority or two or three. And when I say growth, I want to be specific, that means adding more customers or consumers than you are losing consumers. So given that, one of the kind of real unknowns in creating growth is actually understanding, well, what causes people to adopt a product or abandon a product? How does that happen? And so that's what Jobs to Be Done theory is aiming to explain and predict: right? what causes people to adopt or we say hire a product, and also what causes them to fire or abandon a product. And the theory is trying to do, to develop a you know a general model that we can apply to any product or service. So it's not like say for example we don't want to say well why does a jumbo jet fly why does a helicopter fly? For example, we developed a theory of aeronautics that says like, well, there's lift, thrust, acceleration. I mean, that's thrust. But anyway, there's like four dynamics of flight that enable something to fly through the air. And that's the general model we use to explain all flight. And so that's like, kind of like, if you want to think about like, what jobs to be done comparable to, it's kind of like the theory of flight. It's like the general principles that explain how things fly for us, we're trying to figure out what are the, the general principles and phenomena that cause people to adopt or abandon products.
0: Awesome. And so one of the things that I mean the audience really enjoys whenever it comes to Jobs to Be Done is yep. specifically looking at like the user onboarding journey, for instance. Okay. So whenever someone gets to a website, let's say they sign up for a free trial, free me models, and then what's next? So (laughs) there's, Mm. I mean, you could go the one way of like the one size fits all method where you just give the person the same experience, or if you had actually understood the job to be done, then you could actually direct people towards, let's say it's a finance application. You could say, Hey, do you want to do the invoices or do you want to understand your finances better and really hone in on that specific area that they care about? And then you can launch them into that part of the product. And so one of the, the most consistent questions we get again and again is the fact of, well, how do you actually understand that? How do you uh, apply this general theory and get very mm-hmm. tangible results about understanding like, what is that outcome we can drive people towards? Because it is, I've seen it again and again. It has such a big impact on these businesses when you can nail what is the job speed on that people want to do.
1: Yep. So, I would say there's actually uh, two important things that one should know. And, and just to be clear, are you curious about the onboarding part specifically, or just how to really, they've expressed some interest and you want to get that hook in there and make sure that they really adopt your product?
0: Yeah. So, I'd be interested in both, just like okay. how the, yep. you can apply the general theory and yep. then how you could apply it to onboarding.
1: Yep. Great. So, this will be in the next book. We've, we have finally kind of, after years of research and experiments, we've kind of finally teased out things much better here. So there's basically two processes that happen that cause someone to adopt a product. Uh, the first one is the demand synthesis, which is basically how needs are created. You know, basically last week I was fine. But then this week, for some reason, I need a car or I need some sort of transportation solution, right? So understanding kind of how that happened, right? How those needs were created. So we we have a model for that, which I can talk about. But then that's only the first part. The second part, though, is the hiring process, which is how I go out and choose a product for that job to be done or hire a product for that job to be done. So... And to give it more more specific here, let's think about, say, like onboarding for a particular product. So a lot of times during the onboarding phase, like first off, a lot of times when people, they're just getting out, getting started, you have to determine if they have, are actually committed to your solution or not. Because they might just still be shopping. And That happens a lot with like trials and things of that nature. So you have to figure out you know, is, is, is this person, how are they going to be assessing my product, whether or not it's a fit for their job to be done? And so that's really important to do when getting people to really sink their teeth in and, and choose to adopt your product. Things like, um, how are they going to trust that your product is going to deliver the progress that you're promising? Can they understand it? You know, can they even understand their product, like what they're looking at? How are they imagining using it? Things of that nature. And so kind of, I think it's, it's important to deliver that, like make sure that you're designing your offering with that in mind while also understanding their job to be done and then delivering them progress as soon as possible. So, you know, again, trying to make it more, more specific, I'll use a CRM, for example. So suppose I'm looking at a, at a CRM like HubSpot or a Pipedrive what would help to know if I'm a HubSpot or a pipe drive is, okay, first off, why, what are the needs that are driving people to come into the market? So things like maybe they're creating a sales process for the first time, or maybe they are trying to scale an existing sales process. So that's like knowing the job to be done. But then also have to know like, okay, how are they you know, looking at my product and how are they assessing whether it's trustworthy, if it's usable, things of that nature. So things like, and I'll go back to CRM example, like when we were doing research with PipeDrive, people would come to PipeDrive with kind of three jobs. So the first one was like, help me get control of my sales process. Another job to be done was help me improve our sales process. And then the third one is help us scale our sales process. So once you kind of figure out those jobs, and then we started learning things like, well, one of the big deciding factors that people chose drive over HubSpot was actually visually how it looked. You know, they would look at it and they would say, you know what, just by looking at the product, this looks like I can use it. Like, the usability looks good. I like how it's very visual. That to me, I'm imagining myself using it. Like That's a product I can use it and adopt. Or it's like, hey, this is used by a certain type of salesperson and that's the kind of salesperson I am. So therefore it's trustworthy that this will have the best thing for me. So that's that's kind of a, kind of a longish answer. Hopefully I kinda of hit all the all your, all your points there. But that's for me as a product designer or marketing or strategy, whatever, like that's the stuff I really want to be thinking about when packaging my offering, positioning it and also deciding like what features to build and how to onboard people.
0: I wanna talk a little bit about that. How did you help Pipe drive, figure out their jobs to be done. Like what are the steps for the folks who might not know to help determine what is a product's job to be done?
1: Yeah. So I would say that the first thing I would think about is it's important to think about thinking that people have jobs to be done. And so that, you know, so they're hiring a product to help them make progress for that job to be done. And in their case, what we did in the past. So this is about understanding people's current job to be done. Like Today, what's driving them to go out in the market and to adopt a product? So for them, it's basically what we did was we just talked to people who had recently adopted their product. So usually within the last one to three months, we talk to them about the processes I I mentioned before. Like, okay, you know, three months ago, you were fine, you had no demand for any product. Something happened, right? That and something in your brain clicked like, oh my gosh, I need to make a change. And then you somehow came to choose PipeDriver, HubSpot, or Salesforce, or some other CRM. And so we actually just talked to them about that story, but along the way, we're looking for those jobs data. So, for example, when we're looking for the kind of demand synthesis part, it's what are the unmet goals that were driving them that they were kind of hoping to change? What were the constraints that they were facing that were blocking that change? Uh, What were the catalysts? you know, the the things that were happening to them that would, would cause them to have these needs. So like, for example, I'm starting a new business and I'm getting ready to launch our first product, but I realize that I have no sales funnel and I don't even know how to create one. I have no sales process. I have no way to keep track of my leads, things of that nature. So like, that's like, you know, a combination of like that demand synthesis. And then we talk to them like, okay, so... You came this realization of having a job to be done. How did you go out in the market and choose? And then we talked to them like, okay, you know, you were—did you just go to Drive's website or not, or did you go to a different website? And then they tell you their story like, well, I went to Google, I typed in best, you know, how to create a sales process, and I read these articles about it, and they mentioned these top five products, and then I started going to each page individually. And, you know, I saw HubSpot and here's why I liked and didn't like about that. And I looked at Salesforce and that looked interesting, but that seemed like it was really corporate and too enterprisey. And then I looked over at Pipe Drive and I kind of looked at it and it seemed very approachable and the design was good, it looked very usable. So that's why I, I tried it out. And then they tried it out for a little bit and they're like, look, I am making progress here. I am developing a sales process. I am... Having control of my leads, so that's when it all kind of clicks in their brain of yes, I've this is the product I'm going to use, and I'll hire it. So that's that's kind of how we do it.
0: Awesome. And one thing I really like there is you're taking that step back and looking at what was the the situation before you actually seeked out the product. Mm-hmm. Like you, they were searching yep. to solve a specific problem yep. because they had that need, which goes back to your first point. I think the wouldn't you agree? Like the prerequisite to jobs to be done is like, what's that need? Like that is the first step in the process if you're going to really nail the job you've done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because you have to, and like that's particularly helpful to. And this is also the reason why it's good to have a theory, because actually now we can predict when people will have a job to be done. For example, so that's actually ultimately what we're doing. You know, I, I can I can really geek out about this. That depends how much you want to. <laughs> Gig out into this. But that's really actually what we're doing is developing a prediction, which is given you know these data, you know, given these unmet goals, given these constraints, given these catalysts, we predict that this ideal customer will do this product. So that's actually all what we're trying to do is to develop a prediction of who will buy what product. And of course, that enables you to you know, figure out why they would or wouldn't adopt a different product or whether or not they would or would not accept a change to your product, size and market. I mean, all that kind of stuff.
0: Awesome. And that's kind of really taking it to the next level. Yeah. <laughs> just like, let's predict this and see what percentage of people uh, can actually buy that. But I feel like for most people who are going to be listening, they're still going to be thinking about you know what, like how can I better understand the needs behind my users? And so I don't know about you, but I look at needs through kind of three different filters. Like one's more so like the functional filter, like, hey, let's say back to that serum example, you need a place to to house your contacts. Like that's a very functional outcome you're looking for. And then it's like the emotional, like maybe that is the view, like how easy is this to, to actually use? Then more of the social, like how could I use this to interact with my coworkers and everything else? So how do you really look at trying to understand the needs and all the levels and different layers of needs? Because it's not just as simple as the person needs to do X and this product does Y or something like that. So how do you really get granular with understanding the need?
1: Yep. So... Uh, you know, I have to think about how to start this. So I'll just put this as a kind of as like an aside and we can come back to it uh, if you like. But first off, I think it's important to recognize and start with, well, why are you trying to discern what people's needs are? And the answer should be to create growth. So I I think it's it because the, the thing here is that you know your people endlessly need. <laughs> it's, it's it's endless, right? You know, and so I, I think right off the bat, I think we have to start with kind of what needs are we trying to solve for, for example, and for what end. So it's it's all about it comes back to the growth question on that one. So given that, well, the needs now kind of talk specifically about needs. I think it's important to kind of start with what a need is. So I take the position of a need that's used in the world of psychology and also in sociology, I think Everett Rogers has a great definition of need. He developed in the '50s and '60s, and then some other people who have Carver and kind of those psychologists who have come to find needs. But a need is basically a discrepancy. So there's some goal that I want to achieve, like, for example, always know where my leads are, or always know the status of a deal right? That's my goal. And it's only a need because somehow right now I don't have that. So that discrepancy between where I am and where I want to be, that's what creates the need. And so it's all about kind of understanding, again, like what are those goals that are causing a product purchase or driving people to adopt a new product? And then what that discrepancy is, like where they are and where they want to be. And then figuring out, creating what I call the enabler, which will help them take them from where they are to where they want to be. That's how I think about needs. Is this these goals where there's a discrepancy and that's driving people to want to resolve that discrepancy.
0: Awesome. I really like that. And I know Randley, right now, he's actually writing an article that has a lot of that context behind it about the gap. Mm, so like yeah. there's on one end, like where people are in their current state where they might be dissatisfied... And then there's that whole gap in between that whole process of them and that future outcome. Yep. And so now that that's super fascinating. Yeah. And so do you have like any like practical examples of how you've really kind of broken this down for companies for really understanding their jobs to be done and what has been some of the results for people?
1: Yep. So the best way to describe a job to be done is actually to show the product that's being hired for it. So that's actually how we describe a job to be done is by showing the product that they that consumers are buying for it or adopting for it. We have to kind of like step back and be like, kind of like, again, it kind of comes back to like, what's your purpose or what, what's your aim here? Because it's like, I could say part of the problem here. And again, you know, it depends on how kind of geeky that you want to get on this, right? But there's a problem here of we're dealing with unobservables, right? I I can't see needs. I can't see in your head, like what you want. There's no way for us to be objective about what that is, you know, because otherwise I could say, oh yeah, there's a job to be done around, who knows, having livestock in New York City. I don't know, whatever, right? You know, growing livestock in in New York City. Yeah, there's a job to be done around that. But then it's like, how do I actually prove that? And actually, and how is the best way to to describe it? And I believe that it's actually to show the product that people would adopt for that. Because then that does two things for me. One, it proves that it exists. Because it's actually a physical action. Someone's actually adopting the product. I can prove it. We all can point. Yep, those people are adopting that product. That job to be done is real. And there it is. And then second, it's the best description of it. So that's actually how we work, which is actually the opposite, I believe, of how a lot of organizations think about product development is they do this very waterfall approach, which is, okay, we're going to go out and study people's needs, create some huge long list and prioritize that or whatever, whatever, whatever. And then we're going to come up with some product concepts for that. And then we're going to maybe prototype that somehow and then put it on the market and see if people buy it. What we do is actually do the opposite, which is we figure out what people are going to buy and then what that design should be. Then we figure out what the job we be done is. So that's, we actually work backwards and we find that's a much more reliable and better way, we believe, of creating growth and designing a product.
0: Do you have any results to show, you know, before they were doing this, this is the result, and then now with this new process that you introduced, this is what they've achieved through growth?
1: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So I would say the, the example that comes to mind right now, which has been getting the most talk, which I can talk about now because the team has been talking about publicly, I would say it's the Arlo team. You know, we started working with them about two years ago. And very typical scenario, they're like, look, we don't really know what customers value we try different ways of discerning what consumers value we have internal disagreements about what we should build or should not build and so they they kind of came to us like okay let's let's help figure this out and of course with the objective of growing you know the product line because at the time they were just making cameras so they're like what's our growth story here like we sell cameras want growth like what do we do and so the same thing, you know, first thing we did with them is we came in and first we had to understand why people are buying products today and what they are buying. Because, you know, even if you're trying to change the future or like plot a course to somewhere new, you have to start with a destination. You have to start with somewhere, like start somewhere. Like even, you know, Christopher Columbus or Ponce de Leon, you know, they're like, well, we're going to go to the new world. We don't really know where, but we're going to go that way. They had to choose like a place where they're going to start. So we start with, okay, here's why people are buying products today. And so in their example, we had a few different jobs, but we kind of nailed it down to two, which was help me protect and defend my home. And then another one was around, you know, help me care and aware for my family and my home. So we kind of like those different types of jobs. And then we then moved on to a phase of, okay, how can we invent something new, create something new, that causes people to hire a product for that job to be done or something that will create a job to be done in people. So and that's when we jump to basically coming up with product concepts. And there's a few different ways that we do that. We do like storyboards or show visuals. It kind of depends on what you're selling and what you do. But then what we did is we engaged in a really quick process of showing new product concepts or new ideas or new stories, you know, like storyboards to people. And and saying like, look, here's how we envision what protecting and defending your home is like in the future. And then we see how consumers react to that. Like, oh, and they could say, well, that's not much different from what I have now, which is you don't want to hear. Or you hear what you want to hear, which is, oh my gosh, this means that, you know, all these things change for me. You know, I can start doing this now that's so great, I'll sleep better, I'll be able to go on more vacations, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they're they're really kind of visualizing, now that you've put this new concept in front of them of new ways of protecting defending the home, then they'll like, you know, really respond to that. And then they kind of figured, okay, we show them some new possible futures. And then we kind of, because and how they were doing that was like showing things like spotlights and sirens and Different types of cameras, you know, small cameras, big cameras, uh, different kinds of keychains and remotes. I mean, they just kind of came up with all these different kind of product concepts, and, but also stories and seeing how people were reacting to that, what they did not didn't get excited. And, uh, and so now, you know, again, because they're in the hardware world that works a little slowly now, but now, actually, I just found out they won a whole bunch of best of categories for 2020 uh, from CNET. You know, it was like rated best cameras overall and then best like security light, best security system and so on and so forth from CNET. So you probably can Google that like Arlo best cameras or something like that or maybe CNET best security cameras. I'm not sure the exact Google search you'll find, you know, and it's like that's their growth story. So now they've moved from just being a company that has just a security camera to basically selling a whole constellation of products of, you know, Keychains with certain like remote controls on them to lights, to sirens, to software products, door like cameras on the doorknobs and like things of that nature. So that's like been very exciting.
0: Awesome. So I guess it maybe correct me if I'm wrong in my understanding, but essentially yep. your process for trying to predict like which products will sell is you first go in, try and understand: like, here's the main jobs to be done. And then let's say it's people want to feel more secure at home. Like that's the job to be done. And then you're basically going in and saying, now what products could solve that problem? And if they do, then is it a matter of just saying, you know, this is going to sell? Or is there any other more kind of extensive research that goes into understanding like this is going to be a bestseller or something like that?
1: Yeah, so we do the whole thing at once. So like what's also that we've changed you know, we no longer do needs analysis or anything like that. We've totally blown that away because this is not very helpful. And so it's much faster to actually just show a whole product. So that's actually what we do is we show the whole product, but then we actually, so I, it's a method I called, created called simulated shopping. And it's basically a method that has three steps, which is we identify people who we think should be our ideal customer profile who we think should be interested in our product. And then we go them and then we basically put storyboards in front of them of like, describe to us how things are today for you, you know, when it comes to home security and that kind of stuff. Like, okay, so that's good. And we put these storyboards for them and say, hey, which of these scenarios, new visions of doing home security, you know, really gets you most excited? And they'll say, oh yeah, this story over here that's the one that I identify with the most, right? That was like, that was, that is kind of how I wish things would be. Like, that's the kind of, like, that's, that's, that's how you want to hear it. You want to hear them say, I wish I had that kind of life, or I wish that's how things worked right now. And that's usually just kind of like a high level story. Like, yeah, you know, i usually do like a storyboard doing that. And then once we kind of confirm that, then we say, okay, you know, now that we have an idea of this, what your story of like home security is like, here are some possible products that could be hired for that job to be done. We don't say jobs to be done, that's actually what we're doing. Here are some possible products that you could adopt for that. You know, let's walk through and see what does and doesn't work for you. And they'll say things like, "Well, okay, that camera looks cool, but well, what about this? What about that? I'm not really sure. That siren, that's kind of interesting, but you know what? I don't want to wake up my neighbors and bother them, so forget the siren." But the floodlight, that's really cool, but you know'd be awesome would be that if the floodlight could actually like track the person, um that would really help me a whole lot lower. okay, that's great, you know, so they're kind of talking about that. And then we go on to the third stage, which is basically like a pricing thing, like, okay, you know here's kind of the package you chose, how much do you think this costs? And then we kind of talk about numbers and they kind of put out numbers, and then we say things like, okay, well, you know, how' did you come up with two ninety nine And they'll say like, well, I chose 299 because if I had this, I would stop buying ADT, and I spend 200 dollars in ADT every year, and you know, I could finally get this so and I could get rid of that. So you kind of figure out how they're computing price. and so then, then we kind of prices in front of them and see how they react to that. So you're basically getting the whole thing,? Right? You're, you're in one interview, you're capturing what type of environment are they trying to create for themselves, or the job to be done? And then the products or products that they would consider hiring for that. And then also like how they think about price and and positioning and how they're computing that. So like in one interview, you're really kind of fleshing out all that go-to market strategy stuff. Yep. And then we just kind of like iterate through that. You're changing the pricing. You're changing the packaging. You're changing the messaging. You're changing what features you offer. You're changing the storyboards you put in front of them. You're just basically just kind of iterating on that to figure out, you know, amongst what groups of people what kind of demand gets the most excited and then what kind of products get the most excited about adopting.
0: So, Alan, is this going to be in your next book?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. And when's that coming out? (laughs) I'm shooting for uh, the next couple of months. Really? That soon? Okay. This is so exciting. I've I've been... well, it's, it's been working on for for a long time. And we finally kind of, you know, figured out the best way to describe things in the format that works best for people. And um, yeah. that's good. Like, actually, so I haven't talked about the new method and methodology much. So I'm still like, forgive me if I'm like remembering stuff here, but no, no. To, to, to kind of like thinking about the method and the methodology. Here is how our clients have described it, this process, and they love it. Like they actually, they change now how they internally work now. Like this becomes now their default product development process now. And of course the CEO or the CMO or the CPO or you know the higher level people love this process. And I'll, I'll do a quote from our last client it was like, "Look, what you're doing is you're teaching my team how to sell a product before they even decide to start building it." So it's like, you know, it's like what do we have to do to sell this thing? before we even, like, what do we have to sell? And then we figure out, like, what to build, if that makes any sense. So, like, what's the promise that we have to put out to consumers that gets them excited? And then we'll figure out, like, you know, all the details of of, of how to build it afterwards. And that just really gets, that just kind of gets everyone really excited and focused because now they've got, you know, some good confidence that, okay, if we go in this direction, then we have good evidence that, yes, people will adopt it. Awesome.
0: And that is like perfect for so many people listening here because the one thing I always emphasize for anyone building like a product led business is it's really all about like you're promising someone on your website. Yes. And if you have a free trial Freeman model, like you need to deliver on that value prop yep. as soon as humanly possible. So yep. I really enjoyed hearing the the cycle that you really broke down, which is really. I even wrote it down, like having your environments is understanding mm-hmm. that first. And like, what are those potential products? And then really shaping around the pricing and getting the actual people to, to write down the pricing and understand the logic behind that. I really liked that yeah. AT&T example of like, hey, this is kind of how I was thinking about pricing. And then mm-hmm. the last part is just the packaging as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to really just share some of the new stuff you're up to. And for everyone listening, like me, who's super curious about that new book, where yeah. can we learn more about it when it does come out?
1: Yeah, I would say probably uh, check me on Twitter. That's probably just the best thing. I know I should have a whole better, like join my mailing list or you know whatever, whatever, whatever. But I'm just so busy and all this stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, just follow me on Twitter or check my profile once in a while. Actually, I think I do have a book link somewhere that people can sign up for for notifications I'll, I'll try to dig that up for you okay so i'd say follow me on twitter or check out my twitter profile once in a while i'll, I'll probably pin it to the top so people could just visit my profile like oh is it out yet like oh nope okay i'll come back in a month
0: <laughs> yeah. set that calendar notification
1: <laughs> yes exactly
0: perfect well thanks again this has been a blast chatting with you and thanks everyone else for tuning in